energetic dude, and he's also a nerd. And we had a day off, and this is what Aaron decided that he wanted to do, is he wanted to attempt to go to Facebook, Instagram, and Google in one day. And so we woke up on our day of social media nerdness, and he was just like an excited puppy. Dude was fired up, and I don't care that much about it, but I'm along for the ride or whatever. And so we, we take off, and we, we take off early, and we head to Facebook, and I'm assuming that he's like done research on this and knows that you can like tour Facebook. And so I'm thinking this is going to be like a, a tourist thing, and we're going to get to tour Facebook. And so we, we park, and, and I just roll in like I own the joint, and, I, and I, I'm going in, and these security guards stop me. I had more interactions with security guards on this trip than I anticipated. These, in, these security guards stop me, and they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know, I'm going to see Facebook. Like, I'm going to go see Mark Zuckerberg. What are you doing? And they're like, you can't just come in. Like, do you have a pass? Do you know somebody? I'm like, no. <laughs> and, and so they kicked us out, and so we parked on the side of a busy California highway and just jumped out in front of this Facebook sign and took a selfie in front of it and left. So then we went to Instagram, and, like, the same story happened. So we roll in, and this lady stops us and is like, hey, are you guys here to visit somebody? Do you know somebody? And... Uh, so my buddy Aaron thinks that he's smooth, and so he goes, what's your name? And she goes, Megan, and he goes, we're here to see you, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> and then just goes, so can we come in? And she goes, no, <laughs> which I thoroughly enjoyed. It was great watching him get shot down. So we didn't get into Instagram and we just stood outside of like a normal office building and like took a picture and kind of looked around and then went, all right, guess we got to go. So then we drove to Google, but here was the difference with Google is we knew somebody at Google. So we got to, oh, we got some music in the background. All right, just deal with it. So we got to tour Google. And guys, Google is like everything that you would dream it would be. So we roll in and they have a T-Rex like this animatronic T-Rex that kind of walks around. That's not true. It's, it's not animatronic, but they had like T-Rex bones that were like just, I don't know. There was a T-Rex in the middle of the campus and there was free food everywhere. And if you're in, like you get to eat the free food. So I'm like double fisting smoothies. I'm shoving like snacks in people's purses. I'm like, this is amazing. And we're wandering around Google and we're checking out the gadgets or whatever. But at one point I got too far away from the lady that was like our tour guide. And this dude comes up to me and gets like right in my face and is like, who are you and what are you doing here? And I panicked and just went, uh, uh, and I forgot how to talk. And then he's like, get out. And then the lady that was like our tour guide came running over and was like, it's okay, they're with me. And so we got to tour Google. Okay, tonight we're talking about the people of God from Romans 4. This is where I'm going with this. Here's the key question about the people of God is who's in and who's out. And there's some of you tonight that are in different places with that question. So some of you are just kind of, kind of dipping your toe into Christianity Seriously? <laughs> All right, so this is going to be a pumped up sermon because I'm going to have an electric guitar in the background. Never preached a sermon like that before. All right, cool. Hey, uh, would somebody run? Keaton, you want to run over there and see if you can get them to move? Okay, that'd be great. If not, guys, just stick with me. All right, we're all going to pretend like it's not happening and it's going to be great. Okay, so where was I? Hold my rock fist. Okay, so are we in the people of God? And here's the deal. Some of you are, are dipping your toe into Christianity and, and you're not sure if you're going to be in or out. And, and here's why. is because you kind of just, 
this is amazing. Like, I can't focus. All right, I'm back, guys. I'm back, I think. I really hope Keaton can get him out of there. All right, so you're in, you're not sure if you're in on Christianity because you kind of want to sin, right? Like, just honestly, like, you're not sure if you actually want to live your life for this, okay? It's so hard. It's so hard. We're going to power through. I'm trying to be serious, and it's just not easy. to. There, they stop. Thanks. Thanks, Keaton. All right, so you're not sure if you're totally in, right? You're just kind of dipping your toe into Christianity. Here's what some of, of the rest of you are doing, all right, is, is you're kind of trying to talk your way into the people of God, right? So you're, you're my buddy Aaron, and your plan, when you go to stand before the God of the universe, and he asks you, why should I let you into my people, your plan is to kind of walk up and try and smooth talk him in. And you're going to kind of bring your, your good life to him, and you're going to say, hey, like, is this enough? Can I come in? And here's what he's going to say. No. No. It's not enough. Because here's what's true about the people of God is it's not about who you are, it's about who you're with. You need somebody with an all-access pass. His name's Jesus Christ, and he wants to let you in. Okay, so that's where we're going tonight. We're going to be in Romans 4. And, and here, Romans 4 is, is actually kind of interesting, and, I, here, and here's why. is because it's giving an illustration about this guy from the Old Testament named Abraham. And, and when the original readers of Romans 4 would have read this, they would have all known who Abraham was, but some of us don't really know. We don't have that same context. And so what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to kind of talk about Romans 4, but I'm also going to just kind of tell you the story of Abraham and why that's relevant to your life. Okay, so this is where we're going to go. I want to talk to you about the promise that God makes to his people. Then I want to talk to you about how we can be in. How can we get into the people of God? And then third, I want to talk to you about what it means to be his people, what it means to be his people. All right, so the the promise of God, Romans 4, if you have a Bible or if you have an app, flip open to Romans 4. We want you to kind of follow along in the Bible with us. I'm gonna start in verse one. I'm gonna read one through three. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he's talking about this guy named Abraham and and, and we're supposed to follow his example. Abraham was a guy that was in, he had got into the people of God and we're supposed to follow his example about what it looks like to get in. And the way that he got in was his faith that was counted to him as righteousness. But the question is, what was he putting his faith in? So I wanna, he was putting his faith in the promise of God. So I want to go back and I want to I tell you the story of Abraham from, from Genesis 12. You can flip there if you want. But here's the, the basic story. Is there's this dude named Abraham, and he's just a, he's a random dude. And, and God shows up to this guy, Abraham, and he just starts making promises to him. And he's like, here's the deal, Abraham. I want you to be a part of my people. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose you and then I'm going to bless the entire world through you. He takes him outside and he says, Abraham, look at the stars. That's going to be the amount of people that are going to be a part of my kingdom, a part of my people because of you. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. And that might not seem like it's, it's that big of a deal, but it's actually one of the most important sections in all of scripture. And here's why. 
Because of the rest of the Bible and actually the rest of human history, including your life, is about God making good on that promise. So the Bible is a story. And, it's at, and God's so powerful that when he writes a story, it doesn't just stay in the abstract, he actually realizes it into existence. And so when God writes a story, he's actually writing that throughout human history. And this is the, the essence of his story, is this promise to Abraham. And I want you to pay attention to that. This is like a side note that we don't have time to get into. But the Bible's a story. It's not a quote book. Okay, the purpose of the Bible is not to kind of throw out, like God works for the good of those who love him. And then just think that your life is going to be fine because you can throw out that quote. Or I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, so I'm going to be good at basketball. That's not what the Bible's about. The Bible's a story. And I want to tell you what the story is. It's a story about God's kingdom. It's a story about God's kingdom. And here's what God's kingdom is. God's kingdom is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. God's people and God's place under God's rule and blessing. And so I want to I show you those themes in this promise to Abraham. So I'm going to have Genesis 12 up on the screens and kind of highlight where God's place, his people, and his rule and blessing are. So this is that promise that God makes to Abraham, and at this point his name's Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your community and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That's God's place. And I'll make you a great nation, and I'll bless you and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here's where the Bible begins. As you have God's people, their name are Adam and Eve. And God created them to be in relationship with him. And they were God's people in God's place, the Garden of Eden, the perfect place that we were born for. The, the place that you and I kind of crave, the place that we want but we don't ever really have in this earth, the reason why this earth completely disappoints is because it's not where we were meant to be. So it was God's people in God's place and they were under his rule and authority. They were listening to him and following him, but what happened? They fell. And so God's people are no longer God's people. They're separated from him by sin. And they're no longer in his place. God kicks them out of the garden and they're not in this paradise anymore, but they're out into this broken world and they're not under his rule and blessing because they're not listening to him. They're doing their own thing. And that story continues. And then we get to Abraham and God makes this promise, hey, I'm gonna make everything new. I'm gonna put everything back to the way that it was supposed to be and I'm gonna do it for, through you. And here's the deal, like I said, Abraham is just a random dude. Like, he's sitting in the dirt, drawing a smiley face with a donkey's jawbone or like whatever they were doing then. And God shows up and is like, hey, I'm gonna bless the whole world through you. And Abraham kind of looks up like, me? And that's what God does. Is he's a God that, he, that shows up and he makes promises to people who don't deserve it. And here's the thing is God is showing up tonight and he wants to make a promise to you, people who don't deserve it. And here's the promise that you can come in 
You can be a part of his family. You can experience the people of God, the world the way that it was supposed to be, and you can live in God's place as a part of his people under his rule. You were just kind of chilling, living your own life, and then God came after you. It was actually worse than that. You were running away from him, and God came after you, and he made you this promise. And so the question is, how do we get in? How do we get in the people of God? All right, so this is what I want to show you about the people of God. The people of God is both inclusive and exclusive. It's inclusive in the sense that anybody can come in. If you're here tonight, you're welcome in the people of God. But it's exclusive in that you have to come in his way. There's only one way to know Jesus, and you can't get around it. All right, so inclusive. I'm back in Romans 4, and I'm looking at verses 9 through 12. Romans 4, verses 9 through 12. And here's the deal. If you like flip through that, you're going to see a bunch of stuff about circumcision. All right. So I'm not going to read that whole thing because it says circumcision like 15 times. And I'm not going to get into explaining that. But here's the deal. Circumcision was just a sign, an external symbol of an internal reality, kind of like baptism is for us, which by the way, if you're, if you call yourself a Christian and haven't been baptized, you should be. Okay. So circumcision was this external sign of what was supposed to be an internal reality. It designated them as the people of God. And here's the deal. It was supposed to be an inclusive thing. It was supposed to be this thing that said, hey, you're a part of the people, but these religious people took it and they did what human beings do, which is they tried to elevate themselves above other people and to push other people away. And so they were saying, only us, the true people of God, the descendants of Abraham, only we can come in. But here's what Jesus says is that there's not a single person that's outside of the reach of God. That there's not a single person that can't come and be a part of his family, and there's not a place on this planet that he can't reach and invite someone to come in. Anybody can come in. And if if you're one of those Christian talking points, right, like like if you've had the abortion, if you've struggled with same-sex attraction, you've been mocked for it, or you've felt like you've had to hide it, if, if you've had doubts about the existence of God, you can come in. Like if, if you feel badgered by sin, like if you feel like you, you just can't stop and you don't know what to do about it, you can come in. If you're radically insecure, if you're depressed, if you're proud, you can come in. And here's what that means if you choose to come in is that you can go from being an orphan to being fathered by God to being homeless and familyless, to being in his family. What do we all want, right? We want to be loved, we want to be accepted, we want to be included. Here's the deal, God invented love. He's the, he's the source of love, and he wants to pour it out on you as his kid. That's what it means to be and his people. And it doesn't just have personal implications for you, it has like broader communal, communal implications, What does God's people in God's place under God's rule look like? It looks like heaven, right? That's the end of the story. We actually know where the story of the Bible ends. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. And you know what the Bible says about that place? Is that people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue are gonna be worshiping Jesus together and will be at peace together. Are you sick of hopping on social media and just the fights and just like the, the division and the hate. Heaven's the solution. It's what we're longing for. And here's the deal. The people of God, also known as the church, by the way, 
the people of God can bring a little bit of heaven here. We can be the countercultural community that we all want to be a part of. Right? Like the church, not, not the building, not the event, like the group of people, us, we can be a place where women are respected and honored. We can be a place where a millionaire worships next to a college student and they're on an equal playing field. We can be a place where diversity is celebrated instead of being divisive. That's what it means that everybody can come in. And guys, look, that's my dream for us, for this church. I, I remember sitting with this guy named Recab. He's a, he's a pastor at one of our churches. He's an African-American guy. And he, he was telling me the stories about how racism had impacted him. And he told me about his dream for a church that produces racial reconciliation. And we prayed for that together and we prayed for that for you. And look, I don't know exactly what that means. Like I grew up in small town Iowa. I'm very white. I've been around white culture my whole life. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know it's my dream for this church. And I know that in heaven, a white evangelical American is going to be the minority, and I think that's going to be awesome. And I would love it if one day I walk into our church and I'm the minority. That's my dream. And I don't know exactly how to get that done, but I want to invite you into that. I want to invite you to pray for that, to dream about that for this place, that heaven can come here and that it can look like peace. That's the communal implications. So the people of God, is that's the inclusion. It's inclusive, but it's also exclusive. There's only one way that people can get in. It's inclusive in that anybody can come in, but the way to get in is exclusive. So what's the way in? Look at Romans 4, verses 14 through 16. For if it is the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void, for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. So let me give you a little equation that summarizes what we just read. Here it is. Real simple. Okay, I think you guys can handle it. Law equals wrath. Faith equals grace. Law equals wrath, faith equals grace. Okay, so that first one, law equals wrath. So what's the law? We've been talking about the law a lot throughout Romans. This is an overly simplistic explanation, but it's essentially the, the rules, the way of life that God gave us, the way that we should live. So it doesn't really make any sense that that would bring wrath, right? But here's the thing. If you were here last week, I want you to remember what we talked about with this is that the law isn't like a syllabus that lays out the way that we should live and what we should go do. The law is one of those, like you must be this tall to ride signs in an amusement park and none of us are tall enough. The point of the sign is that we can't measure up. And that's the point of the law is to expose your sinfulness and to demonstrate that you can't measure up to God. And, and I know this is hard, but you gotta hear me on this. If you're leaning on anything else besides faith in Jesus Christ, if you think your, your church attendance, the way that you live your life, your background, your theology, the prayer that you said when you were nine, or, or forget the spiritual stuff, if, if you think, if you have this law that says, if I just can impress or please my parents, then I'll be fine in life. If I can just be successful, then I'm gonna be okay. If you're living based on anything else besides faith in Jesus Christ, there's wrath coming. 
You're not in to his people. But the other end of the equation, this is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. That's why they bring up Abraham is that the law didn't even exist yet, right? So the rules hadn't even been laid out for Abraham yet, but Abraham was declared righteous. He was declared right in God's sight. Why? Because he responded to the promises of God. Romans 4.3, which is quoting that story in Genesis. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed that God could actually back up his promise to him. And he said, yeah, sure, I'm in. And so then God counted that. He, he credited that to him as righteousness. So somebody gave me a car one time. People just give me stuff. It's awesome. So this one time somebody gave me a car. Now, it was, it was a 1999 Ford Taurus. So it was a little rough. We called it the Tan Turtle. And when you would press the accelerator for like three seconds, it would rev up and then just peel out. So every day I peeled out in a 1999 Ford Taurus. But somebody still gave me a car. Dude literally walked up to me and was like, hey, I just want to give you a car. And this is what he did. He signed it over into my name and his car legally became mine. That's what Jesus Christ does for you. Is he says, hey, I want to make you a part of my people. And he signs his righteousness over into your name. And that's how you're made right with him. And the only thing that you can do with a God like that is respond to him in faith. Because faith is, is simply trusting God to do for you what you can't do for yourself. So what gets you in is not a reliance on your character, but on the character of God. So what does it mean to actually live as the people of God, to actually daily trust the promises of God. So this is what it means, is that you live in faith, not fear. And then you start living for his story, not your story. You live in faith, not fear. And you start living for his story, not your story. So how do we actually live as his people? So we're looking back, we're going to be looking at verse 19 in Romans 4, and it's, it's telling this, this story of Abraham and Sarah continues, right? And so, so essentially what happens is God makes this promise, and part of the promise is, is that, hey, I'm going to give you a son, and then he's going to have another family, and there's going to be this lineage of people that descend from you, Abraham, and that's part of my promise to you. And then here's what happens is Abraham gets super old, and he doesn't have a kid. So now Abraham's 99, and his wife is 90, and they don't have a kid, and they're kind of looking at God like, uh, hey, God, little problem. Okay, like imagine your grandma walking into the maternity unit. And being like, hey, are you here to see your grandchild? Nope, I'm here to give birth. Okay, so that's like what's about to happen here. And they're like, God, what's up? Like you, you promised us this. And God throws his arm around Abraham and is like, do you trust me? And listen to how Abraham responds. Verse 19. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. <laughs> Little blunt. Just was as good as dead. All right, and, and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Listen to this. 
fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. All right, so faith is not about the strength of the person who has the faith. It's about the trustworthiness and strength of the one that they're putting their faith in. Faith is about the person that you're putting your faith in. So you guys know what a trust fall is? It's like where you stand there and then somebody's standing behind you and then you just fall and they catch you. So I had this friend that would do impromptu trust falls. So what that means is he would walk up to random strangers, yell trust fall, clap twice, and then just fall. And sometimes they would catch him and sometimes they wouldn't. But either way, he would have a good story and he would make a new friend. This was real life. This is just what he did. What's the key to a good trust fall? There's a couple keys. One, the person catching you has to be strong enough to catch you. Okay, if you put a two-year-old on the stage behind me and we're like, all right, trust fall, and the two-year-old's standing like this, it's not going to end well. I'm probably not going to fall. I'm going to try and save that little kid's life. What's the second thing? They got to be good, right? So you can't just be a total punk that thinks it's funny to just let you fall on your face. I guess not your face, your back. You got to be strong enough and you got to be good. Here's what faith says about God. It says that he's strong enough and that he's good. So the Christian life is essentially God setting you up to be in a place where you have to step out in faith. It's you just taking trust fall after trust fall and believing that he's strong enough to catch you and that he's good enough to not let you fall. So this is my question for you. Is if you live your life anxious and fearful all the time, what does that say about the God that you believe in? Right, so, so if you walk through life constantly worrying about the future, constantly getting caught up in the stress of life, what does that say you think about God? It says that you think he can't catch you, that he's not strong enough or good enough to take care of your life, and so you gotta take care of it on, on your own. But what does it say about God if you step out in faith and you walk throughout your entire life in faith, and you choose joy even when you want to be anxious and stressed, what does it say about him? It says that he's good enough to hold you and that he's strong enough to back it up. He backs up his promises. And I want to show you specifically Jesus' promise to you. It's verse 25. It, it's the continuation on that promise to Abraham. We're still a part of that people that he promised thousands of years ago, but it gets even more specific and amazing. Verse 25 who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Here's what Jesus said, is that not only did he raise from the dead, but one day he's gonna raise you. That one day you're gonna shake off this old world that we were never supposed to be a part of and you're gonna wake up in eternity. And you're going to see what it means to be a part of the people of God where you're not separated from him or divided from him by sin anymore, where you're not even going to want to sin, but you're just going to sit in his presence in a new resurrected body. That's what he's promised you. Do you believe him? And you know what the evidence of Abraham's faith was? It was his life. What does your life say about what you believe about Jesus? Do you believe him when he promises you that he will never hold your sins against you, that you don't have to be ashamed before him, that you can just walk into his presence as his kid and you can live life in the throne room of God without getting rejected, without getting left out. You can belong. Does your life demonstrate that reality? 
That's his promise to you. Do you believe that he can back it up? That's a hope that nobody can take from you. So kind of going back to that, to that illustration at the beginning, where are you at? Are you, are you kind of standing outside the people of God, just kind of taking a quick picture, just kind of bouncing into church, bouncing into connection group here and there, but not really in, not really actually diving into his people, not fully believing that he's everything that he's promised he would be for you? Are, are you staying out because you just kind of want to sin? Like, you're missing out. You're missing out on the all-access tour of Google. <laughs> That's what it's like to know Jesus. Or are you trying to talk your way in with your good behavior, your ability to be impressive? Have you not figured out that Christianity isn't about the promises that you make to God? It's about the promises that God makes to you. And are you trying to talk your way in with these promises? God, I'm never gonna live like that again. I'm never gonna go back to that sin. I'm never gonna be that person that I used to be. How many times do you have to say it before you give up on your ability to back up your promises and you just start trusting him? You just believe that he's gonna be good to you even when you're not good to him. Are you trying to talk your way in or have you figured out the all-access pass? Have you figured out that it's not who you are, but it's who you know and that Jesus Christ wants to welcome you into eternity and that he wants to bring eternity here now through you? That he wants to finish his story in the world through your life. Where are you at? Are you in? Are you in on that? And here's the deal. If you're in, it changes what you're living your life for. You, you go from a radically selfish life to a radically selfless one because you get lost in a story that's greater than you. So I was at a basketball game one time. I went to, I went to school at Iowa State, and so it was, a, it was an Iowa State basketball game. And I love basketball, and I, like, just go hard. Like, I'm convinced that if I yell hard, we will win. And so, like, basketball games, are, they're, they're like, there's a prep period. Like, I listen to the pregame. I get kind of fired up and, like, ready to roll. I get myself ready. I'm, I'm in my chair. I kind of have the same routine every time. And there was this one specific game where Iowa State was down, like, it was 20 points at the beginning of the second half, and they came all the way back and won. And it was an amazing game. And so, like, throughout the, essentially the entire second half, everybody was, like, standing up and cheering, and it's just getting louder and louder. And you know, you know, like, that moment where you're, like, a part of something bigger than you, even if you know it's stupid, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And you're, like, I had goosebumps, right, and you're kind of freaking out. And, and the players were feeding off of us and we were feeding off of them. And it was awesome, except for here's the problem is the people we usually sat by weren't there and there were two teenage girls that took their place. And I just, teenage girls, like, I, ugh. especially when I'm in the zone at basketball games, like I just, I saw them walk up and I just knew that like something was gonna go wrong. They were gonna distract me or they weren't gonna cheer right or they weren't gonna know the fight song and I just wasn't okay with the fact that I was sitting by them but I was trying to ignore it but this is what happened in the second half. Everybody's going nuts. I'm high-fiving like everybody around me and these teenage girls are sitting there literally through the entire second half taking selfies and they're taking duck face selfies at that, which I know aren't that popular anymore. I've been coached by like my cultural coaches in this room that they're not that cool anymore, but they were in at the time, but I hated it. Like I just hated duck face selfies so much. 
And, and I was just looking at these girls and they were distracted. They literally missed the entire second half. That's what some of you are like in your life and in your Christianity. Here's what's true about the world. Jesus is on the court and he's changing the world in front of your eyes and he's inviting you into it. And he's making this world into what it was supposed to be. He's bringing it back to himself. And you don't get to do it. He's the hero of the story. He's the one that's doing it, but he invites you in to be a part of it. And we're all a part of this crowd that's cheering him on as he changes the world. And when you are endlessly self-focused, you're missing the whole thing. You're missing the whole thing. And so I wanna invite you into the life of forgetting about yourself and getting caught up in the greater picture of who God is. I wanna invite you to see the story of God that goes from the beginning of the Bible to end, from the beginning of creation to the end when we stand with him in heaven. And I want you to see that we're living in the middle of that story and he's playing that story out through us and that you can be a part of it. And here's what it means to to be a part of that people is to live a life that's radically others-centered and that is, instead of being individualistic, is corporate and communal. To reorient your life to be about relationships that you can have with other people. And specifically, the way that God designed for that to happen is through this thing called the local church, which for some of you, it's like, seriously, that's where you're ending? That's a little anticlimactic. I didn't like the church either growing up. But here's what I don't mean by that is, is just kind of the, the institution and the politics and all that stuff. I mean the, the living people of God that are, are indwelled by the resurrected savior of the universe who wants to transform the world through them. This, this countercultural community that you get to be a part of. And, and here's the deal. There's some of you in this room that in five years you're not gonna be following Jesus. You're all in now. But in five years, you're going to be out. And here's one of the greatest indicators about whether you're going to live your life for something that matters long term. It's whether you have community. It's whether you're committed to a local group of people and walking through life with them. So I want to ask you, would you be committed to the people of God? Like, show up at Salt Company. Show up at Connection Group. Go to church. But, but more than that, more than just showing up, like, make this your family. Make this a group of people that you invest your life in. So coming up to, to Minneapolis at the beginning of, of last year, last summer, was awesome, but it was actually really, really hard. So in the transition period, I, I've, so I felt like God was asking me to believe his promise and take a step of faith, but I didn't want to. I was scared. I was leaving kind of everybody that I knew and we were freaked out about what that would mean for us. But here's the deal. I felt like God was saying, dude, when have I ever let you down? Like when have I ever been anything good, but good to you? And so we decided to come, right? And if we wouldn't have taken that, that step of faith, if we would have listened to the fear that we had, I never would have gotten to be a part of this. I never would have known you guys. This, this new community, this spiritual community that Jesus has formed, I never would have known what it was like to be a part of it. I'm asking you 
to jump in, whatever that means for you. But I'm asking you to believe his promises, to step out in faith and to give your life to Christian community, to give your life to the local church and see what God would do through that. He welcomes you into his people. Shouldn't something crazy like that change the way you live practically? Let me pray. Jesus, man, it seems like kind of a bad plan to me, honestly. Like to get a bunch of messed up people together and to have them hang out and then to believe that that's gonna change the world. And it would be hard for me to believe if I wouldn't have watched it happen through my whole life. So I wanna, I wanna thank you, Jesus, that you have included us, that you've said yes to us coming into your kingdom to being a part of your people and that we get to stand and watch you change the world and help us not to be distracted by selfishness, by the way we want to live our lives, but help us to get caught up in your big story that you're playing out in the world and to give our lives to it, to want to be a part of it. And if there's people in this room that aren't in, especially if they think that they're in, would you convict them right now by your spirit and would you help them to turn away from the life that they're living and to turn to following you because it's the best, it's just the best life we could live. So thanks, Jesus, that you haven't left us out alone, but you've brought us into your family, you've brought us into your people. That's awesome. We love you. Amen.